Chapter Six of Ralph the Heir by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Neefit's Little Dinner. On the Sunday morning following that remarkable Saturday on which Miss Bonner had been taken to her new home and Ralph Newton had ordered three pair of breeches, Mr. Neefit made a very ambitious proposition. "'My dear, I think I'll ask that young man to come and have a bit of dinner here next Sunday.' This was said after breakfast, as Mr. Neefit was being made smart in his church-going coat and his Sunday hat, which were kept together in Mrs. Neefit's big press. "'Which young man?' Now Mrs. Neefit, when she asked the question, knew very well that Mr. Newton was the young man to whom hospitality was to be offered. Ontario Moggs was her favorite, but Mr. Neefit would not have dreamed of asking Ontario Moggs to dinner. "'Mr. Newton, my dear,' said Mr. Neefit, with his head stuck sharply up while his wife tied a bow in his Sunday neck handkerchief. "'Why should us ask him?' He won't think nothing of his vittles when he gets em. He'd only turn up his nose. And as for Polly, what's the use of making her more saucy than she is? I don't want such as him here, Neefit. That I don't. Stuck-up young man like him had better stay away from Alexandrina Cottage. That was the name of the happy home at Hendon. I'm sure our Polly won't be the better for having the likes of him here. Nothing more was said on the subject till after the return of the family from church, but during the sermon Mr. Neefit had had an opportunity of thinking the subject over, and had resolved that this was a matter in which it behoved him to be the master. How was this marriage to be brought about if the young people were not allowed to see each other? Of course he might fail. He knew that. Very probably Mr. Newton might not accept the invitation, might never show himself again at Alexandrina Cottage, but unless an effort was made there could not be success. "'I don't see why he shouldn't eat a bit of dinner here,' said Mr. Neefit, as soon as his pipe was lighted after their early dinner. "'It ain't anything out of the way as I know of.' "'You're thinking of Polly Neefit?' Why shouldn't I be thinking of her? There ain't no more of em. What's the use of working for her if one don't think of her? It won't do no good, Neefit. If we had things here as we might have em, indeed. What's amiss? With nothing to drink out of, only common wine glasses, and it's my belief Jemima'd never cook a dinner as he'd look at. I know what they are, them sort of young men. They're worse than a dozen ladies when you come to vittles. Nevertheless, Mr. Neefit resolved upon having his own way, and it was settled that Ralph Newton should be asked to come and eat a bit of dinner on next Sunday. Then there arose a difficulty as to the mode of asking him. Neefit himself felt that it would be altogether out of his line to indict an invitation. In days gone by, before he kept a clerk for the purpose, he had written very many letters to gentlemen, using various strains of pressure, as he called their attention, to the little outstanding accounts which stood on his books and were thorns in his flesh. 
but of the writing of such letters as this, now intended to be written, he had no experience. As for Mrs. Neefit, her skill in this respect was even less than that of her husband. She could write, no doubt. On very rare occasions she would make some expression of her thoughts with pen and ink to Polly, when she and Polly were apart. But no one else ever saw how slight was her proficiency in this direction. But Polly was always writing. Polly's pothooks, as her father called them, were pictures in her father's eyes. She could dash off straight lines of writing, line after line, with sharp-pointed angles and long-tailed letters, in a manner which made her father proud of the money which he had spent on her education. So Polly was told to write the letter, and after many expressions of surprise, Polly wrote the letter that evening. Mr. and Mrs. Neefit's compliments to Mr. Newton, and hope he will do them the honor to dine with them on Sunday next at five o'clock. Alexandrina Cottage, Sunday. Say five sharp, said the breeches-maker. No, father, I won't say anything about sharp. Why not, Polly? It wouldn't look pretty. I don't suppose he'll come, and I'm sure I don't know why you should ask him. Dear me, I'm certain he'll know that I wrote it. What will he think? He'll think it comes from as pretty a young woman as he ever clapped his eyes on said Mr. Neefit, who was not at all reticent in the matter of compliments to his daughter. "'Laws, Neefit, how you do spoil the girl,' said his wife. "'He has about finished spoiling me now, Mama, so it don't much signify. You always did spoil me, didn't you, Father?' Then Polly kissed Mr. Neefit's bald head, and Mr. Neefit, as he sat in the centre of his lawn with his girdle loose around him, a glass of gin and water by his side, and a pipe in his mouth, felt that, in truth, there was something left in the world worth living for. But a thought came across his mind. If that chap comes, I shan't be as comfortable next Sunday. And then there was another thought. If he takes my Polly away from me, I don't know as I shall ever be comfortable again. But still he did not hesitate or repent. Of course, his Polly must have a husband. Then a dreadful proposition was made by Mrs. Neefit. Why not have Moggs, too? Oh, Mamma, are you going to turn your nose up at Ontario Moggs, Miss Pride? I don't have to turn my nose up at him. I'm very fond of Mr. Moggs. I think he's the best fun going. But I'm sure that if Mr. Newton does come, He'd rather not have Mr. Moggs here, too. It wouldn't do at all, said Mr. Neefit. Ontario is all very well, but Mr. Newton and he wouldn't suit. Mrs. Neefit was snubbed and went to sleep on the sofa for the rest of the afternoon, intending no doubt to let Mr. Neefit have the benefit of her feelings as soon as they two should be alone together. Our friend Ralph received the note and accepted the invitation. He told himself that it was a lark. As the reader knows, he had already decided that he would not sell himself even to so pretty a girl as Polly Neefit for any amount of money. But not the less might it be agreeable to him to pass a Sunday afternoon in her company. 
Ralph Newton at this time occupied very comfortable bachelor's rooms in a small street close to St. James Palace. He had now held these for the last two years, and had contrived to make his friends about town know that here was his home. He had declined to go into the army himself when he was quite young, or rather had agreed not to go into the army, on condition that he should not be pressed as to any other profession. He lived, however, very much with military friends, many of whom found it convenient occasionally to breakfast with him, or to smoke a pipe in his chambers. He never did any work, and lived a useless butterfly life, only with this difference from other butterflies, that he was expected to pay for his wings. And that matter of payment was the great difficulty of Ralph Newton's life. He had been started at nineteen with an allowance of two hundred fifty pounds per annum. When he was twenty-one he inherited a fortune from his father of more than double that amount, and as he was the undoubted heir to a property of seven thousand pounds a year, it may be said of him that he was born with a golden spoon. But he had got into debt before he was twenty, and had never got out of it. The quarrel with his uncle was an old affair, arranged for him by his father before he knew how to quarrel on his own score, and therefore we need say no more about that at present. But his uncle would not pay a shilling for him, and would have quarreled also with his other nephew, the clergyman, had he known that the younger brother assisted the elder. But up to the moment of which we are writing, the iron of debt had not as yet absolutely entered into the soul of this young man. He had, in his need, just borrowed a hundred pounds from his breeches-maker, and this, perhaps, was not the first time that he had gone to a tradesman for assistance. But hitherto money had been forthcoming. Creditors had been indulgent, and at this moment he possessed four horses which were eating their heads off at the moonbeam at Barnfield. At five o'clock, with sufficient sharpness, Ralph Newton got out of a handsome cab at the door of Alexandrina Cottage. "'He's coming a handsome said Mrs. Neefit looking over the blind of the drawing-room window. "'That's three and six, said Neefit with a sigh. "'You didn't think he was going to walk, father,' said Polly. "'There's the underground within two miles, if the Midland didn't suit,' said Mr. Neefit. "'Nonsense, father. Of course he'd come in a cab,' said Polly. Mrs. Neefit was not able to add the stinging remark with which her tongue was laden, as Ralph Newton was already in the house. She smoothed her apron, crossed her hands, and uttered a deep sigh. There could be no more going down into the kitchen now to see whether the salmon was boiled, or to provide for the proper dishing of the lamb. "'This is quite condescending of you, Mr. Newton,' said the breeches-maker, hardly daring to shake hands with his guest, though in his shop he was always free enough with his customers in this matter. Polly looked as though she thought there was no condescension whatever, held up her head and laughed and joked, and asked some questions about the German at the shop, whom she declared she was never allowed to see now, and whose voice she swore she had never heard. "'Is he dumb, Mr. Newton? Father will never tell me anything about him. You must know.' 
Laws, Polly, what does it matter? said Mrs. Neefit. And they were the only words she had spoken. Polly, from the first, had resolved that she would own to the shop. If Mr. Newton came to see her, he should come to see a girl who was not ashamed to speak of herself as the daughter of a breeches-maker. He don't talk much, does he, Mr. Newton? said Mr. Neefit, laughing merrily. Do tell me one thing, said Ralph. I know it's a secret, but I'll promise not to tell it. What is his real name? This isn't fair, said Mr. Neefit, greatly delighted. All trades have their secrets. Come, come, Mr. Newton. I do know his name, said Polly. Do tell me, said Ralph, coming close to her as though he might hear it in a whisper. Mr. Neefit, I wish you wouldn't talk about such things here, said the offended matron. But now here's dinner. She was going to take her guest's arm, but Mr. Neefit arranged it otherwise. The old uns and the young uns, that's the way to pair them, said Mr. Neefit, understanding nature better than he did precedence. And so they walked into the next room. Mrs. Neefit was not quite sure whether her husband had or had not done something improper. She had her doubts, and they made her uncomfortable. The dinner went off very well. Neefit told how he had gone himself to the fishmongers for that bit of salmon, how troubled his wife had been in mind about the lamb, and how Polly had made the salad. And I'll tell you what I did, Mr. Newton. I brought down that bottle of champagne in my pocket myself. Gave six bob for it at Palmer's in Bond Street. My wife says we ain't got glasses fit to drink it out of. You needn't tell Mr. Newton all that. Mr. Newton, what I am I ain't ashamed on, nor yet what I does. Let me have the honor of drinking a glass of wine with you, Mr. Newton. You see us just as we are. I wish it was better, but it couldn't be welcomer. Your health, Mr. Newton. There are many men, and men too, not of a bad sort, who in such circumstances cannot make themselves pleasant. Grant the circumstances with all the desire to make the best of them, and these men cannot be otherwise than stiff, disagreeable, and uneasy. But then again there are men who in almost any position can carry themselves as though they were to the manner born. Ralph Newton was one of the latter. He was not accustomed to dine with the tradesmen who supplied him with goods, and had probably never before encountered such a host as Mr. Neefit, but he went through the dinner with perfect ease and satisfaction, and before the pies and jellies had been consumed had won the heart of even Mrs. Neefit. "'Laws, Mr. Newton,' she said, "'what can you know about custards?' Then Ralph Newton offered to come and make custards against her in her own kitchen, providing he might have Polly to help him. "'But you'd want the back kitchen to yourselves, I'm thinking,' said Mr. Neefit, in high good humor. Mr. Neefit certainly was not a delicate man. As soon as dinner was over and the two ladies had eaten their strawberries and cream, he suggested that the port wine should be taken out into the garden. In the farther corner of Mr. Neefit's grounds, at a distance of about twenty yards from the house, was a little recess called the arbor, admonitory of earwigs, and without much pretension to comfort. 
It might hold three persons, but on this occasion Mr. Neefit was minded that two only should enjoy the retreat. Polly carried out the decanter and glasses, but did not presume to stay there for a moment. She followed her mother into the gorgeous drawing-room, where Mrs. Neefit at once went to sleep, while her daughter consoled herself with a novel. Mr. Neefit, as we have said, was not a delicate man. That girl'll have twenty thousand pound down on the nail the day she marries the man as I approves of. Fill your glass, Mr. Newton. She will, and there's no mistake about it. There'll be more money, too, when I'm dead, and the old woman. It might be owned that such a speech from the father of a marriageable daughter to a young man who had hardly as yet shown himself to be enamored was not delicate. But it may be a question whether it was not sensible. He had made up his mind, and therefore went at once at his object. And unless he did the business in this way, what chance was there that it would be done at all? Mr. Newton could not come down to Alexandrina Cottage every other day, or meet the girl elsewhere, as he might do young ladies of fashion. And, moreover, the father knew well enough that were his girl once to tell him that she had set her heart upon the gas-fitter, or upon Ontario Moggs, he would not have power to contradict her. He desired that she should become a gentleman's wife, and thinking that this was the readiest way to accomplish his wish, he saw no reason why he should not follow it. When he had spoken, he chucked off his glass of wine and looked into his young friend's face for an answer. "'He'll be a lucky fellow that gets her,' said Ralph, beginning unconsciously to feel that it might perhaps have been as well for him had he remained in his lodgings on this Sunday. "'He will be a lucky fellow, Mr. Newton.' She's as good as gold, and a well-bred un too, though I say it as shouldn't. There's not a dirty drop in her, and she's that clever she can do almost anything. As for her looks, I'll say nothing about them. You've got eyes in your head. There ain't no mistake there, Mr. Newton, no paint, no Madam Rachel, no made beautiful for ever. It's human nature what you see there, Mr. Newton." I'm quite sure of that, and she has the heart of an angel. By this time Mr. Neefit was alternately wiping the tears from his eyes and taking half-glasses of port wine. And I know all about you, Mr. Newton. You are a gentleman, that's what you are. I hope so. And if you don't get the wrong side of the post, you'll come out right at last. You'll have a nice property some of these days but you're just a little short of cash at present. That's about true, Mr. Neefit. I want nobody to tell me. I know, continued Neefit. Now if you make up to her, there she is, with twenty thousand pounds down. You are a gentleman, and I want that girl to be a lady. You can make her a lady. You can't make her no better than she is. The best man in England can't do that. But you can make her a lady. I don't know what she'll say, mind, but you can ask her, if you please. I like you, and you can ask her, if you please. What answer she'll make, that's her lookout. But you can ask her, if you please. Perhaps I'm a little too forward, but I call that honest. 
I don't know what you call it, but this I do know. There ain't so sweet a girl as that within twenty miles round London. Then Mr. Neefit, in his energy, dashed his hand down among the glasses on the little rustic table in the arbor. The reader may imagine that Ralph Newton was hardly ready with his answer. There are men, no doubt, who in such an emergency would have been able to damn the breeches maker's impudence, and to have walked at once out of the house. But our young friend felt no inclination to punish his host in such fashion as this. He simply remarked that he would think of it, the matter being too grave for immediate decision, and that he would join the ladies. Do, Mr. Newton, said Mr. Neefit, go and join Polly. You'll find she's all I tell you. I'll sit here and have a pipe. Ralph did join the ladies, and finding Mrs. Neefit asleep, he induced Polly to take a walk with him amidst the lanes of Hendon. When he left Alexandrina Cottage in the evening, Mr. Neefit whispered a word into his ear at the gate. You know my mind. Strike while the iron's hot. There she is, just what you see her. End of chapter 6 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina